Today's episode is brought to you by Search Press. For over 50 years, Search Press has delighted crafters with books on knitting, crochet, sewing, quilting, fiber crafts, painting, and drawing. Craft retailers connect with Search Press to share that merchandising with books is a great way to sell material, yarn, tools, and more. Learn more about Search Press books by checking out their website at searchpressusa.com. Thank you so much, Search Press. And now here's the show. Welcome to episode 249 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about the quilting industry with my guest, Jaron Gibson. Jaron joined Grace Company as its first manager in 1998, soon after graduating from Weber State University with a degree in communications. At the time, the company had approximately 15 employees. As president of Grace Company, now with 25 years of industry experience, Jaron has helped transform Grace Company from its beginnings as a woodworking firm in the quilting industry to a manufacturer of quilting and sewing machines, computerized quilting systems, and other related products. So Jaron Gibson, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to have you and to talk about the kind of birth, growth, and development of this very interesting company, Grace Company. So um, I'd love to start way back in the beginning. I mentioned in the intro something about woodworking, which might surprise, I mean, surprise me and might surprise other people. So maybe you can go back to kind of Grace Bagley um, and who she was and what um, kind of discovery or product idea she initially had. Yeah, Grace is a tremendously interesting individual. She's the mother of of the owner Jim, and um, really, it's kind of fun to reflect on on how the company came about because it was really Grace continuing to plant seeds in Jim's mind of, you know, having worked at a local quilt shop, she kept getting requests for quilting frames, hand quilting frames, and Jim uh, coming from a carpentry um, angle. Uh, that had been what he did for the previous couple of years. And, you know, he finally that kind of that seed took and, and was planted. And he said, you know what, I probably could make a few improvements in what's being offered out there in, in, the, in terms of hand quilting frames. And he put his mind to it, and overcame a, a few fundamental problems in the current offerings. And before he knew it, he had a business. He was making these things out of his garage. So tell us a little bit for people who aren't familiar. I'm not actually all that familiar with with a quilting frame. Is this like something that you use at what what we might imagine as a quilting bee where there's lots of people sitting around a table and it's like a wooden stretcher or something like that? Or am I imagining this wrong? Well, and that's, yeah, those those were really the commonly used tools, right? The, the things would take up the entire room and you'd get people around each side and, and uh, it would be as much a social event as, as it was a quilt making event. Uh, and what had kind of come onto the market at, at this time was this 
frame that would eliminate one of those axes. So you just needed to deal with the left to right space, but then your frame, your fabric layers would be rolled up on rails. And so now it only took up, you know, 100 inches left to right and maybe only 30 inches front to back. So now more people could fit these into their room and they could have a quilt in progress without dominating the entire living space. Okay. So this is basically bringing something that was maybe requiring a huge space and it to be all done in one go with like a whole lot of hands to something that an individual could bring into their home and work on in an ongoing way with just their two hands, basically. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so then you could have a project kind of in progress over the course of days or weeks without it, you know, being a problem that it's not getting completed right away. And yeah, it kind of eliminated the social aspect because now you could do it all yourself on this scrolling frame, but um, but it, it didn't change the aspect of quilting and the you know the the wonderful things surrounding um, the things that are often associated with quilt making. And, uh, so- and this is was this Grace's idea? Like, in other words, she was working at this store and she saw this, or had this existed? I mean, before her her idea. Yeah, it had come on the market. It existed, but she was she was hearing things here and there about how it could be improved. There were some fundamentals okay. about it that were like, yeah, if we could solve this problem, it would sure be nice. And so that's the kind of things that she was kind of hearing and decided to pass along to Jim and say, you know, Jim, you've got the capability of of doing this better than what is being done right now. And he agreed. And and really that that approach that Jim took to solving those couple of key things is really the culture that he's laid down for his company ever since is if we're going to come into the market with a product what is the what is the key problem to solve that would make the use of this even easier and make the process even smoother for a quilter and it kind of started with that original grace frame so yeah he he started making them and he would deliver them around the valley and you know after the valley a, being in salt lake city uh-huh yep okay yeah. And so then uh, after a few years, they went to their first trade show down in Texas, the big uh, uh, quilt festival. And uh, that really is what exposed him all of a sudden to a national market. Right. So let's talk about what happened at that show. So that's like it, that's the consumer side, the consumer show side of um, of Quilts Inc.'s two shows. And so they took this product there and showed it to people, I guess, outside of, you know, Utah, outside of the area where, where Grace uh, and her son were. Uh, and what was the reaction like? What happened after that? Yeah, it was very well received. It was a it was a big big leap for Jim to drive all the way down there and and get that booth space secured and and uh, commit to that. But it paid off for him. He, he met quilt shops. Well, you know, there's two prongs to it. There's the quilt market. That's the industry trade show. And then the retail end. And in both both segments of that show, he was very well received. Okay. He knew at that point that, yeah, this is, this is probably going to require more space. I'm going to need to get more manufacturing space because <laughs> it really was a positive um, reception to the market. And do you know what around what year that was? Like, was were we talking the eighties? Yeah, mid eighties is when he started. Okay, uh, and I think it was just before it was probably eighty eight, eighty nine, maybe that he took it to the national level. Okay, and hand quilting at that time because hand quilting it's still here, and there's still a lot of people who love to hand quilt. But 
um, there was a time in which really that was like the dominant way to yeah. to quilt a quilt. And, and is that was that the the time like in that I don't really know exactly. Was that yeah. like the period when hand quilting was the dominant way to quilt a quilt? Yeah, it really was. At, at these big quilt shows, you know, they'd have the displays, uh, the the judged shows, and if you had a hand quilted piece, that was really the ma- you were in the mainstream, and that was considered the the true art. And at that time, as you if you have a machine quilted piece, well, that's sort of often its own category, and and it's maybe not quite as authentic as the hand quilted piece back then. Right. So, so interesting. It's really changed. Yeah, it's really changed since then. So, Absolutely. right. So, so to see this quilting frame that was smaller, it could fit in your home, um, and maybe also was a little bit more innovative or better than the other ones that were out there on the market. I could see why that would then have a large market appeal. Yeah. Yep. That's right. And it really took off. He, he shortly after that was able to create a few more models that accomplished the same thing, but with different features and different price points. And, and so from that, from that time, he was able to kind of expand his line and just continued to get really good reception from both the, the, the quilter and the shops across the country. Okay. So at this point, everything's made of wood um although maybe there's some metal parts in there but it's pretty much the frame is wood and it's a it's a tool for hand quilters but serving you know people who love quilting so in that way sort of similar to today um and then uh how did this then evolve over time to to really meet a completely different uh a a completely different really art form I mean machine quilting is is a whole other sort of thing that happens right right and it really has been interesting to see not just what the company's journey has looked like, but how the industry has transformed uh, as time has come on. Uh, we recognized in the early 2000s, really, is when we had a key meeting. We still remember and reflect on the lunch meeting that we had where we thought, you know, this machine quilting thing is gaining momentum. We probably ought to jump in at some point mm-hmm. and have our own product offering. And of course, the thought was hand quilting is going to be right alongside it. And for a number of years, it was. Um, But when we got into machine quilting, um, you know, we were the first to offer a freestanding unit that a quilter could stand at and move a machine around and and use their home sewing machine to accomplish their quilting. And we could quickly see that this was a much more efficient way, right, to, to get through a project. And and then there was creativity starting to proliferate in the industry. People were using machines to do some pretty cool things. And we saw the hand quilting sort of gradually take a little bit of a backseat. And what the telltale sign was when in these quilt shows, these judge shows where, where machine quilting categories were now the dominant category. And, and it was no longer taboo. You were no longer cheating to use your machine, so to speak. And uh, And so as we got more and more into machine quilting, interestingly, we found ourselves moving away from woodworking, which was our bread and butter. We had that whole operation figured out. Uh, but but the, the market seemed to want something more commercial feeling, something that that felt a little bit more robust. And that to us was a little bit counterintuitive because we just always felt like, oh, heritage and quilting, woodworking kind of all went hand in hand. But with machine quilting, somehow that just wasn't the, the, the fit. And an interesting piece that that kind of helped us make a transition into that was Jim had another passion, which was construction toys. And right around 2000, he started exploring and designing these little construction toys. 
kind of on the line of a Lego. Um, and that got him into injection molding. And when he started learning about this injection molding process, he started thinking, you know what, guys, we could do these cogwheels on our quilting frames out of plastic. We could do this piece out of metal. And it kind of opened our eyes to, oh, yeah, we could actually have a better product if we start bringing these other materials in and started, instead of trying to do everything out of wood. And that was our slow and gradual departure from woodworking into other modes of, of production and other materials. And I'd love to go back to that meeting that you referenced earlier, where you sort of realized that you needed to make this shift from producing products for the hand quilter to producing products for the machine quilter. Like, what did you talk about then? What were the signs that you were seeing? Um, or, you know, and, and was it controversial within the within the company? I mean, were there people who were absolutely against this this change? Interestingly, uh, Grace, you know, she was a hand quilter and didn't she, of course, knew how to sew. She was accomplished that way as well. But hand quilting was just our tradition and it was the backbone of what we'd done. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was controversial because it just sort of it was apparent that it was the new reality. And so, yeah, in that lunch meeting, we just were sort of observing and saying, look, there's there's products having quite a bit of success using home machines to quilt. It's probably a trend that we would do well to to jump on board with. And and so that was, you know, the decision then made wasn't uh, feeling like, oh, we're going to step away from our roots. It was more like I mentioned, we'll just keep doing hand quilting because it's viable and it's the thing. But this machine quilting seems like it's getting a lot of momentum. Right. And it dovetails perfectly with what you had been doing. In other words, it wasn't like deviating from the mission entirely and that you're still allowing home-based quilters to do this particular piece of the project, um, but you're just doing it in a different way. So it it fits right in. I mean, it's not like now you're producing weaving looms or something completely outside of, of what it was. Yeah, exactly. And so it didn't create a large internal debate. There was no real struggle of, oh, do we go down this path? It was just the kind of the apparent thing to do. And we were really glad that we acted as promptly as we did on that discussion because we had great success with it right off the bat. Okay. So you were saying that you were the first in the market to release something where the the quilter kind of is able to make have this freestanding arm and do this quilting. And we're both making this motion that nobody can see. Um, so <laughs> explain what is a, what is a long run machine and what were those first ones like? Well, and I'll, I'll just interject to the first to have a freestanding product. There were existing products on the market that were tabletop and people were using their home sewing machine to do that on a tabletop. We came in and said, hey, why don't we just do something that's independent of your table, be much more sturdy. And that's really what what helped us have such a successful entry. But um Going back to um, to your question, you're going to, have to remind me where you went with that. <laughs> yeah, no, I was asking, what is a long arm machine like? How uh, does yeah. this how does this work for somebody who? Because the first time I saw it, I had no idea like that this was even something that I think a lot of people don't realize what this is. Well, it's interesting that quilting kind of created an interesting movement in the sewing machine industry, where these manufacturers were looking at this, saying, "Oh, people are using these machines to quilt." Let's come out with a nine inch machine that uh, gives them a little more arm length, you know, throat space. So they don't have to advance their quilt quite so often. Uh, And so then there was this uh, all of a sudden entry into the market of all these nine inch machines that were just designed straight stitch quilting machines. It was great because we were selling our frames with these machines uh, in big numbers back then. Uh, And that's about the time that we got into um, 
doing OEM work for different brands and saying, hey, you've got this machine, we've got this frame, you want to put your name on our frame, well, you can sell this combo. And um, that really put us on a different level once we got into that. Okay, break down what, two, three, a couple things. What is the frame separate from the machine? How does, what is that? Yeah, uh, our role in this whole progression of things was to create this quilting frame that would just stand on your floor, kind of similar to a hand quilting frame, but it has this platform with a carriage that allows you to put your machine on top of. And now your machine, you're moving your machine and letting your machine do the stitching, replacing, of course, just doing your own hand stitching. And so it was still a dedication of space like the hand quilting frame was from that one axis left to right. Um, but it, uh, people could put that machine on that frame and then that machine was doing all the work. Basically, all you were doing is moving around and creating the designs with your movement. Okay. So you were using your, your same domestic sewing machine. Yep. That's right. Okay. But being able to to make it have new capabilities because it was on this carriage and on this freestanding piece. And so it could move around better and you were able to quilt your quilt better. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. More efficiently and and with the, you know, it shifted the creativity from stitching creative decorative pieces to now with your hand to now using your machine to do the same thing. And people were were really grabbing onto that and learning that talent. Okay. So were you collaborating then with sewing machine companies or yes? Okay. Yeah, and quite quite a in a big way. Yeah. With numerous brands, we were saying, hey, we've got this. You know, in, in 2006, we we took a big leap and did this for one one brand in particular, uh, Singer Viking Foff. Um, and they were like, hey, we're selling these by the thousands. This group we're working with can't keep up. Can you do this? And we we decided to jump in with both feet and say, yeah, we can. And it turned out to be a great relationship that lasted several years. And then we went out and did that for other brands as well. And so we found our role to kind of produce these products, make them unique in their own way so that Company A wasn't selling the same thing Company B was doing, but all of them were succeeding by combining their their machines with our frames and really supplying the market with this nice product that wasn't costing an arm and a leg for home quilters to get into and and use their home sewing machine or use these you know nine inch machines to to do their quilting. Wow, that's super cool, and and I love the idea of these collaborations with the existing market leaders in sewing. So you're not trying to go out there and replicate what they're already producing so successfully, and already they have this incredible depth of knowledge and expertise. In. And instead, you're saying we have this addition to what you're offering that makes it more capable. Yeah. Um, and have more, it can do more, and so we'll customize our product to work with your product um, and, and then sell it that way. Today's episode is sponsored by Search Press, and here is a message from Search Press. When it comes to growing your business and engaging your community, I'm sure there are many ways to support crafts in your area. The growths in classes, both online and virtual, has expanded the footprint of many stores and commercial spaces, and maker spaces and maker circles are bringing us all back together. Search Press is here to support your efforts to grow your business in a meaningful way with books designed for teaching, learning, and making. Most of the authors have regular courses that they teach or craft-alongs that show a commitment to learning and improving a craft. Whether you're a retailer, a bookstore, or just someone who loves a certain craft, Search Press has a book for you. 
If you would like to see samples of SearchPress books for consideration in your store, contact SearchPress and we can make sure you see the latest books in your specialty area. Here's some information on the latest books designed to delight and inspire. Knitted Socks by Nina Leitinen has gorgeous inspiration for knitted socks, all with detailed patterns. The book is beautiful too, if you want to inspire someone to knit for you. Ashley Parker of The Loopy Lamb is just about to release her first book, Crochet Furry Friends, and you will be amazed what you can create with faux fur yarn. You can meet her at the New York Sheep and Wool Festival in October in Rhinebeck. The newest books also include guides for making dyes from plants, crocheting chicken run characters, incorporating foraged natural items in craft, and a complete guide to dressmaking. Search Press would love to talk to you about how you can incorporate books in your retail space and increase sales of all products. Search Press knows that crafters love to make something meaningful for the holidays and birthday gifting. Search Press regularly exhibits at H&H Americas and other trade shows and would love to meet you there. As an independent publisher, Search Press works with crafters and teachers to help them produce a book to share their craft with the world. From development to sales and marketing, the global team guides your idea to reality. Search Press books are known for detailed instructions and step-by-step for all projects. And this hallmark is part of their process. So find out how they can help you see your work become a reality and inspire others. Check them out at searchpressusa.com. Thank you so much, Search Press. And now back to my conversation with Jaren. It, it really was an interesting time in our business to where we had to be creative and work well with these partners and say, hey, we can provide you with something unique. Obviously, it's going to be the same product in the end as everybody else, but here's this little twist we can give you. And this is how you can be successful with it. And it was fun to just kind of come up with all these different angles and have these successful partnerships. It didn't come without its stresses because when you lose an OEM relationship, all of a sudden that puts you in a different spot, you know, as a company. And so there's only, you know, there's a finite amount of those relationships in the industry. So it was, it was a, a stressful period as well. What does OEM stand for? Um, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, you asked me that the moment you asked me that I felt the words fleeing. My- <laughs> Just look it up real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, original equipment manufacturer uh, is what just came up, and what so so what what we did was we provided the product, but then we allowed other groups to put their name on it, and that's kind of the overall concept. Is we're yeah we're the ultimate source, but to the market, really, it's just this group is presenting the product, not Grace Company. Okay, so it looks it's white labeled essentially. It's as yep. though. Singer was releasing its own machine quilting frame to go with its own machines. It's branded, et cetera. But actually, you're the producer of that product. Okay. And so people may not during that period have known Grace Frame. In other words, the consumer might not be sitting at home being like, love in my Grace Frame. They wouldn't really know that that's what it was. Well, we we found that, you know, we had entered the market with a wood product and we were doing all these metal products for these other groups. We decided to do one for ourselves as well. So people knew that Grace was in this space and then they would sort of get an inkling, oh, this is a Grace product. 
You know, one one thing we always did for all of our partnerships is offer technical support so that they didn't have to bear that burden. We were quite adept at, at handling customer calls and dealing with any kinds of issues that would come up. And so oftentimes with these partnerships, even though they were selling a product with their label, they would they would feel free to direct customers back to Grace Company for help and support, which we were happy to do. That kind of gave us a, a unique angle. And so it wasn't that we were completely hidden from the customer view, but but that's then that's sort of how that that uh, went at that time. Okay. All right. And then did you expand? You said you had created one for yourself. Did you expand out then from there into creating your own line and really emerging from behind the white label curtain and becoming your own sort of well-known entity in the machine quilting world? You know, we we did. Um, as the as the industry continued to mature and the products continued to get more sophisticated. Um, we had to get into things like electronics um, and, and things that were foreign to us. And we're like, oh, this stuff is black magic. Do we want to go down this path? Uh, and, and luckily for us, we, we, you know, we came across uh, relationships of, with individuals that were able to bring some talent into that. And we were able to incorporate electronics into things that then let us get into Oh, now we're doing this customer interface for this long arm machine that Seijuki does and, mm-hmm. and um, starting to help in other more sophisticated ways besides just providing a frame uh, to where Grace Company slowly were, were, was gaining the puzzle pieces that would allow us eventually to have the idea of, you know, we would be less beholden to market trends and, and stressful relationships that come and go if we were just to have our own system to sell. Right. And so let's start thinking about doing our own machine. And that was a that ended up being a several years journey for us uh, and a lots of twists and turns. But about, I'd say about 10 years or 15 years into our machine quilting journey, we finally were able to put all those puzzle pieces together and come out with our own machine. Uh, but that was after taking a step back. And, you know, I mentioned these nine inch machines that, that all of a sudden popped up everywhere. The market just all of a sudden made this jump to 18 inch longer machines. And mm. everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's the quilting machine I need. Well, and, and I can't necessarily afford it, but they're offering financing so I can get I can get into it that way. And that's how these dealerships, you know, got the home quilter into this much more sophisticated product was they were offering financing. And so you didn't have to be in the So you would have two machines. You would have your sewing machine that you would sew and piece the quilt with. And then you would have another machine um, that you're saying you could get financing for where the the that was a much, much larger throat space. And that would be, the, and it's really set up, but it looks like a sewing machine. It's just larger, basically. Is that correct? Yeah, right. And that And that's the one you would use to quilt the quilt. So you would have two. That's exactly right. And so now this new addition to a quilter studio was having this frame with the long arm and not having to advance your quilt as much. But uh, but you have to you had to take a leap of, of doing some financing, making some payments for it. But it made it accessible to the home quilter who wasn't in the business of, of quilting. They just still wanted to do it as a hobby. Mm-hmm. We, we observed that we saw that we were actually selling fewer frames with these long arm machines as opposed to those nine inch machines because there was a, you know, obviously a bigger price tag. And being thoughtful about that, we said, you know, there's a little bit of a gap that's been left here in the market. Uh, people do want something bigger than a nine inch machine, but they don't want that $10,000 price tag that comes along with a long arm. If we could do something in the middle, 
that might be our new niche. And maybe that's how we get into the machine business. And so that became kind of our focus. And, you know, sure enough, in about 2014 is when we ended up launching our first system. So that finally Grace Company now had its own, you know, complete machine frame combination that we could present to the market. Okay. And then once you do that, and you're very much more publicly facing, now I'm assuming you need to do some brand building to go along with this so that people are aware of the company, the company's history, um, its knowledge of the market, and, you know, gain that consumer trust because, yeah, consumers know Bernina, they know Singer, they know Juki. But if they, if they didn't know that this was where these frames came from all along, you know, I feel like coming out as a brand is going to be an important component of the success of this. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we we were very well established as a quilting frame company, one of the last surviving hand quilting product companies. Um, and then, you know, Grace Frames still was a common phrase with these machine quilting products, these frames that we'd been doing for all these groups and, and for ourselves. Um, but when we come out with this machine, we're a different animal now. We're a different company. And we decided to go with a brand uh, specific for the machine called Cunique and coupled that with our Grace Frame. And, and that's where we got our foothold in the market was with this Cunique machine that was a 14-inch machine. We called it a 14 plus because it was almost 15 inches, practically 15. But but there was a 16-inch machine already on the market. We thought, let's differentiate this and call it a 14 plus and give it its own nice space in between those nine inch machines and those long arm machines. And that turned out to be a, a very well-received decision. Uh, and, and obviously the price point that we're able to do it in made a, a big difference where home hobbyists were able to say, ah, I can, I can kind of have that long arm feel. It's almost a new category. It's a mid arm. Um, and I can, and I don't have to spend nearly as much money. I don't have to finance necessarily. And, and I can get into this hobby in a bigger way with this, with this system. Now, did you have like dealerships though? Because that's how sewing machines are sold, right? They're sold through dealerships, you know, and a lot of, um, independent quilt shops are dealers, you know, dealerships for particular brands. And so you can come in and they'll show you all the different models and help you find one and, and service it for you and teach you how to use it and all of that, you know, so it's almost like this big, huge web of salespeople that are out there every day, um, you know, representing your brand. So is that the, the route you went or how did you get these out there? Yeah, that that's exactly right. We had existing relationships with with dealers selling our frames, and so we approached them, of course, and then and branched out and looked at other uh, sewing machine uh, dealers, uh, and we're able to get a foothold uh, in that end of things to get, get ourselves represented in a number of places. Uh, online was a well established uh, piece by then as well, and so we were able to have both brick and mortar dealerships, as well as online representation that ended up being very good for us, a pretty well-balanced um, entry into them. And were you selling direct to consumer at all? Yeah. And we, we always, um, we, you know, back in the early days, we had a pretty big focus on rewarding the distribution and really focusing on our relationships with our partners that way. But as we got into machine quilting, we, we sort of figured out we can approach the retail market without up upending our wholesale market, our, our dealers, 
And if we do a special over here, we can help our dealers participate in the same thing. And so it was a bit of a balancing act at first, but we've over the years, and especially through the, the lockdowns and pandemic, uh, we, we really fine-tuned that to where we have a very strong voice direct to retail, but at the same time, we continue to build our, our wholesale dealerships and support them very strongly with whatever kinds of promotions are being done. And let's talk a little bit about COVID because COVID was obviously really disruptive, but Grace Company during that time developed some brand new sort of community focused um, approaches to reaching customers. And um, and there's a whole video that that folks can find on the Grace Company, on Grace Company's website where they talk, you talk about this, but um, so, so explain a little bit about the live, live events, starting with live events online and, and building that sort of relationship with the consumer. Yeah, it's a transition that I'm really, uh, proud to have seen that take place. I really admire the people in our organization that had the vision for making that transition. Um, you know, like every other business in America, when April came along and it's our first full month in this new world. And sales are literally what they half of what they should have been. We're all sitting around going, what are we going to do? Uh, what adjustments need to be made to navigate this successfully? And, and trade shows have been taken off the board for the next several months. So the foreseeable future, there's no interaction with, with customers. Um, and so we had a Photog studio that we had been using mainly for still shots. And we decided to transform that, get some equipment and become kind of our own. Let's let's have our own little trade show. Everyone's kind of cooped up right now. That's kind of a fun idea to, to turn our studio into a trade show that we can just sort of reach out to our customers, say hello again and tell them what's going on. And, uh, and so with a lot of creative brainstorming and some collaboration with an outside marketing group, uh, we... Uh, pulled off a very successful event. And by, and really almost immediately by May, we were back to a more confident footing as far as the business goes. And we were able to move into the, to the next several months, feeling a lot more secure about what things were going to look like, even without these traditional trade shows. And we had a giant uh, event called Fall Festival, which, which was to us going to take the place of the Houston quilt market and festival. Uh, you know, that was the intent. We didn't know if it would be quite on that level of success. Uh, but as it turned out, uh, you know, and how we were able to do that and connect in so many unique ways during that event, it turned out to be every bit as successful as being at a trade show with, of course, minimal costs. And so it was a eye-opening experience for us. And we haven't really ever turned back from that since then. We've been able to continue to engage customers in that way. And just opened up another fun avenue for us to interact with our customers. And, and, uh, you know, we, anytime we do a product launch, we're looking to that just as readily as we're looking to the next trade show to get something introduced. So how long do you think it would have taken you, or do you think you would have ever sort of launched into doing video, um, uh, you know, video shows essentially, uh, you know, coming from Grace Company if, if COVID hadn't forced you to do it? Yeah, I'm sure it would have been a few years down the road. Like it just, you're, it's interesting to see what happens when your hand gets forced and you really have to figure some things out um, based on what avenues are open and what avenues are not open. And I'm, I'm sure we would be, you know, there'd be a lag of at least a couple of years for us to think about operating in that sort of way or 
engaging in that sort of way. So, you know, you look for those little blessings in disguise. And I think that really Grace Company, um, you know, in a sense, was able to really take advantage of this unusual time that we were in. And, and while our our thoughts and, and hearts were always, well, there's so many companies that just didn't have those kinds of options based on their, you know, what they were offering. We feel bad for the negative impact that that had, but felt very blessed to be able to to navigate it the way that we did. And that's a lasting change, as you said. So now you're continuing, even though everything's open again and, and people can go and and to their dealer and go to the trade show and all the rest. But but this is now an integral part of, of your marketing um, piece. And what what do you feel like the, the company learned from this experience, from, from, from making these videos and doing these shopping shows or live shows or talking to consumers um, online in video format? You know, did you learn about your consumer and learn some new things? Yeah, definitely. Having that uh, unique connection with them in that kind of live format was fun. Uh, but it also it also helped us understand what were they looking to to see. And I think one of the biggest things that we took away from that was, you know, you know what, Grace Company, we kind of knocked ourselves on the heads. We're we're in the entry level side of the market in a lot of ways, and we're 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 selling to beginners in a lot of ways. Not all, not not exclusively. But we really realized from this experience that we needed to do a better job offering education. Mm. Uh, when our technical support lines lit up, even before April, this was in March of 2020, I, I swear there must have been four or five years worth of customers who suddenly got their quilting frames out of their boxes, mm-hmm. unpacking them for the first time and starting to quilt because they really had nothing else to do, right? And so we did not get caught up from the technical support side for months. It took us for for a long time to get on top of that uh, because we just got flooded with these calls. And it told us that really we've got to do a better job helping our customers have a better experience out of the box, getting these products mm-hmm. and feeling like, okay, I bought this, I've invested in it. And now instead of putting it off, because I don't quite know how to use it, mm-hmm. uh, eliminating that whole barrier and, and helping them feel confident to get that, be eager to receive it and get it right out of the box, get it assembled. Um, which we've always done a good job instructionally of helping them assemble their product, but the use is where there was this gap and we have learned how to fill that gap and and um, help customers be confident with their purchase. So what are some of the tips? Because I think we all know that experience of buying a new piece of equipment. This happened with my serger, which is sitting next to me, where you get it home and you've been looking and shopping for one forever and finally picked one and decided to, you know, make the investment and so excited. And then it's like, oh God, I've heard all these horror stories. I don't want to take it out of the box and, you know, I'm going to be frustrated. And, and so it just sits there, you know, and, and eventually I did, I did actually watch all the videos and figure it out, but there was frustration along the way. Um, So what were some of the things that you changed in order to get people to begin using their, their new piece of equipment, you know, right out of the box more quickly? Well, we we understood that videos were going to be really important. That's the the big takeaway that we had with these live events was, oh, these customers will engage in a in a video format much more readily than an instructional format on paper. Uh, why don't we work on doing some segments that tell them exactly what to expect as they get things out of the box, how to get things up and running, and mm-hmm. then how to actually successfully have your first little practice project. 
And so having those little segments developed uh, was a big help. And then, you know, we're still on this journey today. We're, we're figuring out actually, you know, fabric panels that uh, will help take a customer through a number of different techniques so that mm. as they, rather than jump right into a project on their frame and machine, why not help them get a develop a feel for what they've purchased by giving them a practice playground first, and then they can they can develop that feel and that muscle memory, and, and then mm-hmm. jump project. And so we're developing even now new panels and such that customers can get little fabric starter kits that help them uh, jump in with both feet with confidence, rather than being tentative about their investment. And you work with some brand ambassadors. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit. Is that a new initiative? Has that been going on for a long time? What role do they play? That's been a nice um, addition for Grace Company. That same outside marketing group that I I mentioned earlier kind of helped us inch into that. Uh, They really took that one by the the horns and said, here's how you get this done. Because they've done similar things for other groups in different industries. And uh, they showed us the way on that. And and yeah, that was an important piece that we added to uh, to our voice, basically, is having these professionals across the country that could also be part of demonstrating and helping customers feel mm-hmm. more at ease with, oh, this is an avenue I can take this, or this is something I can do with this. Uh, and so that's been, that was been a nice addition to uh, how we've approached the market. And let's talk a little bit about you and how you came to do this, because this is a sort of unusual job. I mean, I'm not really sure anybody goes to high school and is like, here's what I want to do. You know, <laughs> I have a vision of doing this, but it's a, it's obviously a very interesting job and, a, and um, uh, one that changes over time and is, you know, has new challenges presenting itself all the time. So how did you first decide to come to Grace Company um, and what what was your first role there? Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because I went even into college without understanding or having a clear vision of what did my future look like. And so I was a like, like Jim, ironically, the owner of the company, I was a communication major as well. He, in reality, is a communication major, but an inventor. I was a communication major just trying to avoid math. <laughs> I, <was> <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> so I was doing the things that I felt were fun, journalism, getting into PR, getting into uh, radio. And just enjoying my time in college, but coming out of that experience without really a, a clear vision of where am I going to go next in my career or where where am I going to go into my career? And just as I was graduating college, I, I met Jim. He was just at that point in his business where he needed a full-time like a manager. He had an office manager already, but needed somebody that could take the day-to-day business activity and responsibility kind of off of his shoulders. So as an owner and as an inventor, he could focus on product development. And so it was really fortuitous timing for both of us for me to move out of uh, what I had been doing just out of college at that time and into this quilting frame company, which I was every day scratching my head. How do you have a business in quilting frames? <laughs> and and yet, uh, as we got into it, I was just uh, really like going, wow, this is a pretty cool market. And we've got a pretty cool, cool foothold in this market. So and right as as I got into settling into my role as general manager at the time, uh, Jim got to work immediately on a grace hoop. And it's kind of a fun story. We'd done frames exclusively up to that time. But there's this hoop quilting that was out there that took up, obviously, a lot less space. And so Jim asked the classic Jim question of if I'm going to get into the hoop business, what am I going to do to bring something innovative to the table? 
And he got to thinking about the nature of fabric and how the weave of fabric is square, not circular. And why are all these circular hoops on the market? Why are we trying to cram this, this square quilt into an oval? And so he came up with a square hoop that he innovated, you know, with puzzle joints and things. The manufacturing of this was much different than people were doing with, with woodworking at the time. And and um and and yet he developed this inner and outer hoop that would grasp the fabric in just the right places and, and provide the quilter just the right amount of tension where they wanted it and then put it on its adjustable stand. It was quite an ingenious um, design on his part. And we went out, you know, the next year that I was on board and we sold hundreds of these at trade shows. So it was kind of a fun, a fun story that exemplifies the culture of innovation that Grace Company had from the beginning that really was inbred in Jim. Um, and, and that was kind of my, my first experience of, wow, I'm working with an individual who has an incredible mind for inventing and thinking outside the box and bringing a unique offering to the market. And, um, and so it was kind of fun to get into my career in that, in that way. Where did you meet him? So he actually is my uncle by marriage, my wife's uncle. And I met him at a family activity. And, and that's how we kind of first interfaced is, Hey, yeah, I'm just graduated from, from Weaver state. And, and I understand that you're, you've got this pretty unique business. He's like, yeah, we, we had just kind of initial conversations and just tried to feel each other out if this was a fit. And within a a couple of months, we recognized that this is a uh, a good potential, a great opportunity. And uh, I think I met him in um, early 97. Uh, I probably was earlier than that, on, but, but not really having business conversations until 97 and then hired in January of 98. And what is Jim's role now? Um, how involved is he? Very actively involved. Uh, he is still the sole owner of the company, uh, and so he has, uh, you know, he has seen his company transform from what was a woodworking firm into now this firm that manufactures metal and plastic and electronics and all manner of things that we would not have imagined being in. Um, and in his, he's got very broad shoulders, uh, fortunately, in terms of being able to stomach risk and and handle growth. Uh, and so today, what it looks like is he he oversees our China operations where we do a lot of our manufacturing. And then uh, he's here to infuse his product ideas and thoughts and operational ideas as well. So a very, very active role at Grace Company. And and it's fun to work with him, you know, primarily over the phone when he's overseas and in person when he's here. And um, with having uh, components manufactured in China, you know, between tariffs and then shutdowns and supply chain and freight, um, overseas freight. I mean, there is there was a lot of of difficulty over the last couple of years. What impact did that have on Grace Company? Well, yeah, the the biggest impact was we now are dealing with double the lead time of getting something across the ocean. You know, what we used to be reliably a month was now taking two months if you were fortunate. And then the cost of getting something loaded onto a container was was now triple. And so that was interesting. And having that hit us right on the heels of the tariff that came on board, you know, we were really having to make adjustments, obviously, with price. And, and, and fortunately, you know, well, fortunately, unfortunately, everybody was having to deal with that same thing. And so it wasn't just us that were now sticking out like a sore thumb having to raise prices. But um, but yeah, it was tricky navigation. Um 
but we really, our supply chain never got disrupted to the point where we're like, what are we going to do? We were very fortunate that um, our factory and our, the groups that, that we have uh, assembling product and, and packaging was able to remain pretty much um, on a normal flow. So that, uh, that didn't cause a, a huge scramble. There's some adjustments on lead times. And talk a little bit about your facility now, um, what it looks like, what the company itself looks like. Because I think in the intro, we said when you came on, there was something like 15 employees or something. So what does the company look, look like now? What does the space look like now? I understand you're going to be moving into a new space shortly. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, we we moved from what we had a two, a two office situation going on in the early 2000s. When we got into machine quilting, we now needed more space to warehouse uh, and so we had kind of warehouse and then woodworking. And in 2003, Jim found a building uh, that was just the perfect fit for us. Well, it was much bigger than we thought we needed. It was 40,000 square feet and um, a few miles away from where we were operating. He decided to buy that building, which was probably a bigger leap of faith than when he bought his very first building to get out of the garage because it was a pretty big swing. And we're looking at the space going, oh, who could we lease sublease some of this space to? <laughs> Uh, but we quickly, it was amazing to see how quickly we expanded into that space and how the company grew to really utilize this facility uh, completely and then eventually kind of burst at the seams. So I'm I'm talking to you from this 40,000 square foot facility in, in West Valley City, which is a little west of Salt Lake. And uh, we've been leasing warehouse space now for years um, until finally we decided, you know what, let's get into a space that can bring us bring, you know, that we don't have to lease other side spaces, but that will also give us um, more room to do what we've now discovered we need to be doing, which is which is interacting with our customers, teaching them, bringing them in for classes. And so interestingly, we looked out on the market here a couple of years back and we found, you know, there's a lot of empty big box uh, locations around. Um, and so one came on the market that was priced, you know, to sell. And, and Jim said, let's get that. That's in a location that is very customer friendly. It's even got kind of a retail uh, pass by. And so it it felt right immediately. And Jim, one thing that he is always, you know, he loves real estate uh, and loves to be in the real estate market and have his finger on the pulse of all of that. But one thing I noticed is that he always knows when something's the right deal and he pounces on it. <laughs> And uh, fortunately, he moved very quickly on this, and uh, we were fortunate to get into this building, which is in West Jordan, a few miles further away from the airport and further south of Salt Lake, but in a wonderful location that's easy to access. And we've spent the last eight months uh, building out an office portion of this building. It's a former Target building, actually, that's that was left vacant, 120,000 square feet, so triple the space. But that was no longer feeling like this way too big of space. It's more like we need every square foot of that. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, we're we're about two months away from getting that completed. And we're very excited to open up what will be four beautiful classrooms and a beautiful showroom and allow us to do things that we just couldn't do in this, this current building. And, you know, is what do you know what his long-term plan is? Is his long-term plan to just sell the company? you know, to another single owner or to private equity or to the employees or something else I'm not thinking of right now? Yeah, no, Jim's been, let's see. Um, 
let's just do a quick little equation here because he's he's been in business now for you know 38 years and i see no sign of him slowing down like he's he's always got the next idea um and and it just has tons of energy into how we can do this efficiently so not only from the the creative side but from the operational side all of his wheels continue to turn and so I really, it's hard to say how many more years he feels like he has left in him. I have a hard time seeing him ever retire because he's mm-hmm. of the mentality, like the way his mind works. I don't know that he'd ever turn all of that off. Um, so yeah, how to answer that question, I'm not quite sure because it's a question we ask ourselves as an executive team. What What is his next steps? Where does he, how can we help him make a transition that would work for him? Um, and so we have those conversations lightly, but all indications are that for a good number of years going forward, he's he's very much invested and excited to continue forward. Okay. Tell us before we get to your recommendations about uh, new products, you know, exciting things happening that folks should look out for from Grace Company. Yeah, this uh, this fall is actually quite exciting. We have been working hard on a number of products that again, kind of speak to this entry level part of the market to help people get into their hobby uh, and uh, and invest in it minimally. So they're not having to make this big, this big giant investment. We have a machine called the Little Rebel that we have recently uh, announced out there. It's not shipping yet, but we've kind of gotten the word out in front of people to say, hey, this is what's coming. And it's quite exciting. It's Grace Company's first um, venture into sewing. Uh, where we've exclusively stayed in the quilting space all of these years. And so this machine has feed dogs and will be able to be a multi-use, multi-purpose mm-hmm. system that we think will be just an incredible tool for quilters. Uh, and so along with that, we're thinking for the first time of different accessories that a sewer would use. And we'll be launching some of those exciting ideas uh, here before the end of the year as well. Uh, so yeah, we're quite thrilled to see what's coming down the, the line. We've had this frame called a cutie frame that we introduced a couple of years ago that's a tabletop system i kind of mentioned how that was really uh, one of the first machine quilting products on the market was this tabletop system well we decided to do one of our own kind of come full circle on this thing and and um, introduce something that people could just put onto a tabletop and it's a minimal investment that they can use their home's machine well this is a perfect this new version of this uh, cutie frame uh, we'll also be launching soon, and it will be a perfect companion to this 13-inch machine. Uh, or people can use their domestic machine on it as well. And so we're excited about that, as well as some things that we're doing on the automated side, the automated quilting side, to make that a lower-cost piece. Um, computerized quilting uh, is another one of these side things. You know, we went from hand quilting to machine quilting, and oh, by the way, now there's this computerized quilting that lets you be creative in a whole different way. Uh, well, we've been doing that for about um, 15 years now, and we're about to launch a new version that that cuts the cost in half for a customer. So now all of a sudden, this exciting computerized piece is a lot more accessible for consumers as of in about a month from now. So we're pretty excited. And about these, all these innovations, they really did change the art of quilting. I think you mentioned that a little bit with the quilt shows and the new you know, categories um, and, you know, taking t- machine quilting, taking sort of center stage um, and 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 the, the kind of like uh, feeling like this is not this is cheating or something going away, falling away. Right. But because now there's first of all, there's people who have a whole business as a long armor. That's what they do. Right. They quilt other people's quilts. So that's 
created a whole sector of of business for for people number 1 and and number 2 I feel like the, the quilts themselves having gone to quiltcon for example the quilts themselves look different than they used to look right because you can do things with a um a machine that you can't do by hand so effectively yeah that's and that's what's been amazing to see is how this art form that is quilting has just really morphed over the years as technology has entered into the into this realm as it has with every other realm right uh you would think that quilting might be immune to it longer but it's it's made the same journey and progression as any other industry with the incorporation of of electronics and and uh, computers and yeah it has been just amazing to see how people uh have been able to use this technology in such creative ways that just couldn't have been done with hand quilting it just wouldn't wouldn't exist and uh you know quilting is a wonderful art form anyway but it has become just so much more creative and amazing over the last you know 10 15 years with the incorporation of technology yeah right i agree with that um okay i want to make sure we leave time to get to your recommendations because you do have a few here so um one of them is um reading so tell us a, a recent book that you've enjoyed i i tend to love biographies i think you learn a lot not only about a person but about the time in which they live by just by just diving into a um a good biography and so i i've enjoyed a number of those over the years um one that jumps out at me that was a few years ago was one that kind of got me into China's history a little bit, honestly, and, and learning about uh, the leadership there over the years. It's been a tough, it's been a tough history for that continent. Mm-hmm. And it kind of made me grateful for where I was born and grew up. And and yet the people in China have come through this interesting history and they're just just a wonderful culture over there. And, and that's something that Jim has kind of pointed out. And he he really has enjoyed that part of his experience as owning Grace Company, is interacting with these wonderful people in China and and having these relationships that um, that uh, have have been really a great partnership with with us on, the, on this side of the ocean. And so we've enjoyed some really great friendships as a result of that as well. Um, uh, and so I've, I've enjoyed kind of diving into that kind of history more. And, and that's been, it's been enriching for me. Yeah. I would recommend if people are interested in China, I, my favorite China podcast is called drum tower from the economist mm-hmm. and it's incredibly well done. And it gives you a really good glimpse into what's happening in China today. So anyway, I love that. And there's a new episode out today. So I'm very excited to go listen to it later. Um, so, so that's, uh, I agree with you. It's really a fascinating um, area of the world to, to learn more about. Um, and so another, uh, another uh, recommendation you have is baseball games. I am not a baseball person or a sports person really in general. So tell us a little bit about um, the baseball teams you like. I'm a big Braves fan. I, I jumped into baseball when I was 10 years old and uh, have enjoyed that as part of my life ever since. Uh, and I do empathize with those who say this is a slow sport and I can't really abide this. I have to do something more productive with my life. <laughs> well, I have to say to anybody in that boat that they've introduced an innovation now called the pitch clock. And so that I game, heard about this. The game is moving along quite nicely now. So if you've counted yourself out in the past, give it a chance because it's uh it's kind of a fun, it's fun to see how that's changed the game. 
my husband told me about this pitch clock situation. So, because I refuse to go to any Red Sox games and uh, anyway, so, so I, I did hear about that because it is really slow. And then Indian food, you are, I also love Indian food and just actually was in Montreal over the last few days and got some delicious dosas at Dosa Point in Montreal. So what kind of Indian food do you enjoy? Uh, you know, I, I am a fan of cheese. I love cheese enriches my life. It's, <laughs> I, <laughs> I can agree a, with that. Yes. I, I found a great dish at a local Indian restaurant that uh, is, is wonderful here in West Jordan. And it, it's my go-to, but I love the spices. I love all things about, uh, about Indian food, not just with the sauces and things that are so amazing and diverse, but also the, the, uh, the bread, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, those, those things are just uh Fun to enjoy. So that's our go-to every uh, every month or so. Okay. Uh, awesome. Well, you'll have to give me some recommendations if I ever get out to Salt Lake City. So, well, Darren, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. It was great talking with you. Appreciate very much the time we could spend. Thank you so much, Abby. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Search Press. For over 50 years, Search Press has delighted crafters with books on knitting, crochet, sewing, quilting, fiber crafts, painting, and drawing. Craft retailers connect with Search Press to share that merchandising books is a great way to sell material, yarn, tools, and more. So learn more about Search Press by checking them out at their website, searchpressusa.com. Thank you so much, Search Press. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.